And I don't know what you're going through this morning, and I don't know what life is like for you. Maybe it's great, maybe it's a challenge, maybe there's some really difficult things that you're going through. I want you to know something. If Jesus Christ can come back from the grave, there's nothing going on in your life that he can't deal with. There's absolutely zero that he cannot give you victory over. You realize one day in the future, all of, all of us who put their faith and their trust and their confidence in life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, one day we will all be in heaven and we will all sing together. Hallelujah, praise the Lamb for who He is and what He's done. And what we may feel in our hearts and experience in our hearts and our minds right now, and this is just a prelude of what's going to happen in the future. I'm glad that you're here this morning. You know, it's always fun to be here when family members and friends have come. Maybe you've come from out of town or maybe you've come from out of town to visit a mom or dad. We're just really glad that you're here. I hope you have a great day today. It's an absolutely beautiful day. The Lord has given us a great day, beautiful sunshine, wonderful flowers up here. By the way, those of you that purchased those flowers, don't forget to come up. And if you didn't purchase one, they're not free, all right? So you don't just come up and take one, all right? I'm glad that you're here this morning. Last couple of weeks, we've been singing that song, Living Hope. It's, it's kind of been a theme song. And uh, I want to just remind you of the words once again. The final verse is just phenomenally incredible. Uh, the theology of what it tells us about Jesus. Then came the morning. That's why we're here. Then came the morning. That sealed the promise. You realize that there are promises in the Word of God that we have. Every promise given to us in Jesus will come to fulfillment. Every promise because of what Jesus has done. Your buried body began to breathe. Out of the silence, the roaring lion declared, The grave has no claim on me. Jesus, yours is the victory. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Let me ask you something. Are you free? Have you been set free? You know, I have kind of like a mock little prison over here. We have some things that, you know, sometimes we get bound up in our hearts and minds, sometimes in, in our lives. Uh, we're held into a prison. Maybe it's sin. Maybe there's some kind of sin that's in your life and you just can't break free of it. Maybe there's some bitterness, or maybe there's something you can't get over. Maybe there's shame. Maybe there's isolation. Maybe there's a sense of hopelessness in your life. Sometimes we as Christians can be locked into a prison, and even though we're believers in Jesus, and even though we're trusting in Jesus, sometimes we just can't shake free of this. And what the resurrection declares to us and promises us that we can break free of all those things because Jesus has given us the victory. He can break us free out of those prisons, if you will. Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain, there's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. See your living hope? Man, I hope so. I truly hope so. Because he can radically alter your life. Not only today. Listen, he doesn't just give you a promise for the future. This isn't just about, well, I, I've kind of punched my ticket and I'm going to go to heaven one day. No, 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 no. He's given us new life that every day, every day is a new journey. It's a new way to experience life in the name of Jesus. And it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how long, young you are. When we look to who Jesus is and what he's done for us, he gives us living hope. A man by the name of the Apostle Paul experienced a lot of pain and suffering in his life. He wrote these words about the nature and the character of God. He said this, May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace 
as you trust in him. Why? So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God is a God of hope. And what he wants to do, he wants to give you joy and he wants to give you peace so that we can absolutely overflow with what? Hope because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. That's the nature and the character of who God is and what he wants to do for us. Isn't that awesome? We're not alone. God is not some impersonal force. God has inhabited this earth, walked upon this earth in the unique person of Jesus Christ, and then he went to a cross, offered himself as a sacrifice for his sins. Let me ask you something. You have a favorite Bible character? You know, when you read the Bible and you kind of read, you, you ever read these characters and go, man that, man, that guy reminds me of me a little bit. Maybe it's a man, maybe it's a woman. You know, for me, it's a guy by the name of uh, the Apostle Peter. Um, we've been looking at his life, kind of in and out of his life, and um, I've read a lot of different books about Peter. I, I just love his life, and uh, the, the reason I love his life is because we get to see a guy who's absolutely transformed in the Bible. I mean, here's a guy who was overconfident, outspoken, aggressive, um, always asking questions of Jesus. He's bold. He thinks he knows what's going on. Uh, basically, he's kind of one of the leaders of the band of the disciples, band of the followers, and yet, in the, in the Bible, in the Gospel of Mark, he's a far different person than he is in the book of Acts and the two letters that he writes. Why? Because his life has radically been transformed by Jesus. He's described in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4, verse 12, I think it is. He says, this man has been with Jesus. When you are with Jesus, your life is going to be absolutely transformed. But it was not always that way for him. When Jesus died on Friday, in his mind, his life was just basically over. There was an overwhelming, you could put hopelessness on that board, over there, on that uh, prison over there. You could put hopelessness on that board because there was an overwhelming sense of hopelessness in his life. From a religious perspective, Jesus, the Christ, he's confessed, Peter's confessed him. Did he be the Messiah? The one who's going to come and redeem the world. From a religious perspective, this guy, Jesus, is gone. He's dead. All of our hopes, all of our dreams, everything that we put in him are now gone. What are we going to do from a religious perspective? Who is this Messiah? Who is this God who's laying in a grave dead? From a religious perspective, his, his world is over with. Cleopas, this guy in, in, the, in the book, uh, uh, Gospel of Luke, he, Cleopas asked the question, we thought it was he, Jesus, who was going to redeem Israel. And now because of his death, their hope is gone. Let me ask you something. On a personal note, doesn't unfulfilled expectations shatter our hope? Personally, of course it does. What about Peter from a, a friendship perspective in the life of Jesus? Peter watched his friend, a man that he was with three and a half years. He watched his friend. Jesus called them friends. I, I no longer call you servants. But I call you what? I, I call you a friend. Why? Because you're my friend. I've called you. I've chosen you to do something big, to carry on a mission. And all of a sudden, because of the death of Jesus, this friendship with Jesus is over with. He watched his friend die a brutal and cruel death on the cross. On a personal note, doesn't loss bring a sense of hopelessness in our lives? Of course it does. If you've lost someone close to you, a family member, a friend, a spouse, a child? Isn't there a sense of hopelessness? Peter experienced 
personal hopelessness. Jesus had called him to be a rock. Upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. And Peter boldly said, as Jesus gets ready to go to the cross, everyone else is going to betray you. Everyone else is going to walk away, but not me. I'm going to go with you even to death. And a young girl, a young girl comes up and asks him, by the way, weren't you with Jesus? What is, what is he saying? No, no, I wasn't with him. Three times he denies him. On a personal note, Peter is left with this memory of betraying Jesus, the one that he loved. The one who poured his life in. He, this memory of betraying is, is etched in his heart and his mind. And, and his failure brings, you could add failure over there. This failure in his life brings a sense of hopelessness to his life. What about a, a sense of discouragement? What are we going to do, guys? We spent three and a half with this, years with this guy by the name of Jesus, and we were supposed to do all of these things, and, and now he, he's gone. What are we going to do? Where do we go? I don't, I don't know what to do. There was an overwhelming sense of discouragement. They didn't know what to do. The world has been rocked. Hopelessness can dominate our lives, and it can affect us in a lot of different ways. In the book of Proverbs, it speaks to this idea of hope and how uh, an absence of hope can crush us. Proverbs 13, notice what it says here. A wisdom book, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred. This isn't talking about just delayed hope. You know, we all know what delayed hope is. What he's talking about here, deferred has this idea, when your hope has been seized, when your hope has been grabbed and ripped from you, when your hope has been torn away from you, there's a sense of hopelessness that fills your heart, fills your mind. And that's what Peter felt. That's what these disciples felt at the death of Jesus. Then early that morning, that Sunday morning, a woman comes up to Peter and tells him something that's just incredibly difficult for him to believe and accept. He's not in the tomb. He's gone. The tomb is empty. And that's why we sing the song. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe out of the silence. The roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me. Jesus had done the very thing that he said he was going to do. Guys, I'm going to get mocked. I'm going to get spit upon. I'm going to die on a cruel cross, like the scriptures say. And then three days later, I'm coming back. I'm going to come back. And over and over, Jesus told his followers that. The grave has no claim on me. And that event radically altered the life of Peter. It changed him from a man of hopelessness to a man of hope. And that's why we have the great privilege of singing about the resurrection today. You know, Peter is known in the Bible as a man of hope. A lot of people refer to him as the, as the apostle of hope. I'm going to invite you to turn your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3, verse 5. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at this, this letter that Paul wrote. He's, he's writing to some people in Asia Minor. And, and the text says that he's been scattered. All of these people have been scattered for their faith. Why are they scattered? Well, probably because they're living for Jesus. Probably because they want to testify for Jesus. And now they're facing a little bit of persecution. So what's happening? They're having to leave. They're having to relocate. They're having to, to go and live in different places because of their faith in Jesus. 
And what Peter wants to do is Peter wants to, to write a letter to these people and say, listen, what I want to do is I want to encourage you. I, I want to remind you of the resurrection. I remind you of Jesus. And I want to remind you of the living hope that we have. Let me just read the text. This is the word of the Lord. Hear the words of Peter. Notice what he says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoiler fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Father, we open our hearts, we open our minds. Father, we open this Bible. We open the words of Peter, a man whose life was radically changed by the gospel. And Father, we recognize that there's a power here. There's a power that can speak to our lives. There's a power that comes through the Holy Spirit. There's a power that infuses in our life and gives us living hope. Father, I don't know the individual hearts of the people in this room. God, you do. Father, you know exactly what they're going through. You know their struggles. You know their heartache. You know their hopes. You know their dreams. Father, you, you know all of that. And Father, we just come to you this morning asking that the, the living God, the living Savior Jesus would speak to our hearts and our minds and remind us every day of the living hope that we have because of him. Father, we ask all of these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. So this morning we're gathered here to celebrate Easter. And what I want to do is I want to look at this text. I just want to look at four things, if you will. Number one, I want to look at the praiseworthiness of our living hope. Second thing, I want to look for uh, that, that hope is incredibly powerful. Uh, number three, we're going to see that hope is permanent. And the last thing we're going to look at is hope is protected. So that's kind of where we're going to go this morning, um, just so you'll know. Number one, let's look at this. Peter writes about our living hope is, is praiseworthy. Look at verse 3 again. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right from the beginning, right after the opening, what Peter is doing, he's turning their attention, he's turning their hearts and their mind to this idea of, of not just praising God, but blessing God, that we can bless God in the way that we live. We can bless God in the things that we say. And by the way, he's not just praising God. But as a Jew, who is he praying? He's praising God, who is a father, and he's praising the Lord Jesus Christ, which would be absolutely unheard of for a Jew to acknowledge anyone other than God as God. He's acknowledging that Jesus is Lord. He's the Christ. He's the anointed one. And he puts them on the same path, the same realm, if you will, is God the Father, God the Father, God the Son. They're co-equal, if you will. There's this relationship between God the Father and God the Son. And what Peter's doing is he's blessing that. In the book of Hebrews, it says this about Jesus, that he is the radiance. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature. God and Jesus, by Peter, are seen on the same realm together. And no wonder, no wonder, Peter is praising God because he knows that God is, is a God of love and is a God who saves us. All throughout the Old Testament, they would know and recognize to bless God and to praise God and to acknowledge him for who he is. King David, 
Notice how King David acknowledges God and praises him in Psalm 68. He says this, Praise be to the God, praise be to the Lord, to God our Savior, what? Who daily bears our burden. Notice what David says. He's a Savior. He experienced God's salvation. He experienced God's deliverance. And what does he do? He daily bears our burdens. David's writing this. Listen, God knows you, and he wants you and I to give our lives to him and to trust him. And we can give him our burdens. We can give him the very difficulties and challenges of our life. And because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what we can do is we can experience that freedom. Think about David. He's a murderer. He's a murderer. He's a conniver. He, he calls a census, and, and people die. And he calls God his Savior here. Peter, the same way in the New Testament. Peter, a, a man who, who denied Jesus, finds Jesus as his Savior and as his Lord. Why? Because God is our Savior. Jesus is our Savior. And what he wants to do is he wants to help us and free us and give us a sense of hope. Listen, at a very, very base level this morning, Easter is a time to praise the Lord. It's a time to bless the Lord. If you are in Christ, if you have given your life to Christ, your life is radically different. Not only for today, tomorrow, next week, this year, but for the future. And on a base level, we have the great privilege of saying, thank you, Lord, for who you are and what you've done for me. Do you include that in your life? Is there an aspect of your life where you're living in thanksgiving for who he is? Listen, when your life's been transformed by the gospel, when your life has been transformed by something, someone else, don't you want to live with an expectation, confident of an expectation of that person or thing? Jesus has changed us. And so we should have the great privilege of praising God for who he is. A second thing I think we learn in this is this. Why is, why is Peter praiseworthy? Look at verse 3. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In his great mercy. Let me ask you something. When was the last time you experienced mercy, great mercy? You're driving down the highway. You come up over the hill. You're going like way too fast. You get in a lane. You get the lights behind you. You get pulled over, pulled over the side of the road. The officer comes up and says, by the way, do you, do you know how fast you were doing? No. Yeah, we do. But he says, listen, I'm not going to give you a ticket. I'm going to give you a warning. Or you're a student. You're two days late in the big paper. You're like, oh, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. So you go into the teacher and say, listen, I, I can't get this done. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you two more days. You bring it back in two days. Ever experienced mercy at work? Before I was a Christian, I was working at a at a packing place, a meat delivery place. And so one day it was kind of slow, and uh, so what they did was they said, Clint, I want you to go out and I want you to clean the pens. Now this is where cattle is at, and this is where the cattle stay, and it's pretty messy. So I had to go out with a really high-pressured hose, and I had to hose out all the pens where the cattle would come in. So I did all that, and next day I come back into work, and the foreman calls me over and goes, Clint, come here. And he looks at me and he goes, uh, did you shed the pen last night? And when he asked that question, there was a look of shock and disbelief on my face because I realized I did not shut the pins. Now, some of you are thinking there, well, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is this. At about 4.30 in the morning, 
a big old truck comes up. You've seen them driving on the highway with a bunch of 40, 50 head of cattle in it. And so they throw open the doors, and the cattle come off of the truck down into the pen where they were supposed to be. And as fast as they were coming off the truck, they were going out the back, out the pen. Oh, it, it wasn't funny. You ever try to round up a cow that's loose in a cornfield? Here, cow. Here, here, cow. They had to call some people to come out in horses and round them up. I experienced a powerful act of mercy because my foreman did not fire me and he didn't even expect me to pay for the damage that happened of all of this, which is pretty extensive. And I didn't even have to pay for the cowboys to come up and to get these cows back in. Listen, mercy changes your life. It changes the way that you live. And you and I have experienced God's mercy. And Peter in this New Testament, here is a man who experienced God's mercy. Think about his life at the transfiguration. He's there. Jesus is being transfigured before him. Elijah and Moses are there. Two of the heavyweights of the Old Testament are there. And what's Peter talking about doing? Uh, I want to get a construction project going over here, and we'll build a couple tabernacles over here. For you. I mean, the text says he's just babbling on because he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's just rattling on. Here's a man who boldly professed that, Jesus, you are the Messiah. And in that same moment, he's called Satan by Jesus because he has taken his eyes off of Jesus and not looking to who Jesus is and what he would come to do. And, and, and the greatest example of, of grace and mercy, I think, in Peter's life is, is when he whacks off Malchus's ear. I mean, what a great shot. How could you not be proud of him for that, right? Probably aiming for his head and he whacks his ear off. Jesus, I won't deny you. I promise I won't deny you. And three times, three times he denied Jesus. And the beauty of God's mercy and the beauty of God's transforming power is this, that God uses all of those things, the mistakes, the mess-ups. God uses that mercy to transform us and to change us on the inside so that we can be different kinds of people. That's what mercy does. Let me ask you something. Where, where do we see mercy in the Easter story? Don't we see, don't we see mercy in, in Barabbas? Barabbas is here. Remember, he's here. He's in, he's in prison. He's an insurrectionist. He's a murderer. He's a thief. He's a robber. And he knows where he's going. He is in prison. And he knows he's going to die. Most likely, he's going to die on the cross. He knows that's going to happen. And what happens? He goes, we have this trial between a Pilate and, and all of these different people. And, and what does Pilate do? Pilate releases Barabbas. He throws open the door. Barabbas has to be shocked. What do you mean? I'm a murderer. I'm a thief. I'm a robber. I'm going free. Why? Because this other guy by the name of Jesus is going to, he's going to be your substitute. He's going to be the one who's going to pay your price, if you will. And by the way, Barabbas is known as a notorious prisoner. 
What did he experience? He experienced the mercy of God. He did not get what he deserved. Jesus went in the prison, and Barabbas came out. By the way, we have no idea what happened to Barabbas. Man, are we going to see Barabbas in heaven? I don't know. But he had to live with the fact that he was released, that he was offered mercy. He was offered something that he did not deserve. Listen, that should change us. And when we look to Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us, Peter writes about a great mercy. You and I have experienced what? Great mercy. In other words, I do not get what I deserve. Because of my rebellion, because of my sin, because of the way that I've lived my life so selfishly, I can live an entirely different way. All of my sin, all of that's been placed upon on Jesus. And I walk free. If you're in the, the uh, first Peter, look at verse 17 and 18. We're going to put it on the board. Notice what it says. Notice what Peter writes, how his life is transformed. He says, for you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from your empty way of life. Hopelessness, empty way of life, yeah. Handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, the Lamb without blemish or defect. We were in prison because of our rebellion. And, and maybe not necessarily because of our rebellion, but because of some of the things that we see on the outside here. Shame and disappointment, all of those things. We can be in our own prison. We can place ourselves in our own prison when we don't look to the truth of God's word. And we don't trust the truth of God's word. We can place ourselves, we can live in that prison. Some people live in that prison. And what Jesus has come and said, listen, I can free you of living in that prison, if you will. But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Jesus went to the cross for our sins so that we would what? So that we would be radically different people, radically different people. Is it any wonder why Peter's praising God and offerings? God's mercy is absolutely powerful in changing us so that we can have a new quality of living. It's not just about the future. It's about day in and day out. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10, notes what it says. Describing your life pre-Christian, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Easter hope is the celebration of God's mercy in my life because God places my sin, he places my mistakes, he places all of that stuff, and he places it all on Jesus. And I have the freedom. Listen, it doesn't matter how bad you are and what you've done. Jesus can free you. You know, there's a song that we sing it's called, some of you remember, The Old Rugged Cross. There's one of the, the stanzas goes like this. And the old rugged cross. See how white that is? Dressed up for, for Easter. And the old rugged cross, stained with blood so divine. That's what happened to the cross. Jesus went to the cross and offered himself as a sacrifice. A wondrous beauty I see, for the dear Lamb of God left his glory above to pardon and sanctify me. You know, a, a, a president and a governor has the power to pardon a criminal. You know, a lot of times they'll do this when they leave office. They pardon a criminal. They pardon a person for what they've done. And it means all the rights and the privileges have now been restored to them. 
And what Peter is talking about here is we have been restored in a relationship with God through the unique person of Jesus Christ. And notice what he calls it. He says, we've been born again, what? To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's a new birth into a living hope. You know what new birth means? It has the idea of, of to be regenerated, to be converted, or to be spiritually reborn. In other words, what God does is God takes what's all this stuff on the inside, and because of the Holy Spirit of God, and because of the Word of God, He confronts us with our sin. He confronts us with all of this stuff. And he says, listen, if, if you will simply trust me, if you will by faith reach out and trust me, I'm going to wipe all of that stuff away. And I'm going to cleanse you on the inside. And I'm going to wash you on the inside. And I'm going to make you as brand new on the inside. And you're going to have the freedom to live your life in a mighty and powerful way. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Notice what, what Paul writes. These are beautiful words. He says this, new birth. He saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. What God, the Holy Spirit, does is he transforms us on the inside. Our hearts and our minds are absolutely made new, and we have the freedom of walking in a new relationship with him. And all of that stuff that imprisons us, he throws open the door and he says, by the way, come out and I will free you, and I will give you hope because of my mercy. R.C. Sproul said this about hope. He's a kind of a theologian, a pastor, really smart guy, writes a lot of books. He wrote this, Hope is called the anchor of our soul, speaking of Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, because it gives stability to the Christian life. What does hope do? Hope gives us stability. Even in the midst of the ugliness of night, hope gives us stability. I may not know the future, but I know that God knows the future, and I know that he loves me, and I know that he cares for me. What does hope do? Hope is going to give me stability for the future. But hope is not simply a wish. Oh, I wish that such and such would take place today. Rather, it is that which latches on to the certainty of the promises that God has made. I latch my life on the certainty of God's promises in that book, and that book because it reveals to me the unique person of who Jesus is and what he has done for me, what does it do? It gives me hope. And it comes through one act, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The validation of our living hope is that Jesus is no longer in the grave. Jesus has the power over death. By the way, they saw that power before Jesus was even resurrected. Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. He's been dead for four days. The city of Nain, this poor widow, she's walking out of the city, and she's burying her, she's a widow, she's burying her only son, and Jesus comes up to the funeral procession and he touches the, he touches the funeral procession, he touches the, where the body would be, and he raises this young person back to life. What about the, uh, the synagogue officials daughter. Jesus has brought all of these different people back to life because of who we and what he's done. Because he is the one who has and brings life from death. There's a beautiful story in John chapter 21. Remember, the, Jesus has died. And in Peter's life, there's a sense of hopelessness about his life. And 
what we have a tendency to do is exactly what Peter did. When we don't know what to do, and we're locked sometimes in our prison, we go back to what's easy. And so what did, what did Peter and the disciples do? They went, they went back to fishing. That's what we do sometimes. We go back to the prison. Why? Because it's easy in the prison because I know the parameters. When I have to step out of the prison, what happens? I have to trust God for the future. And so Peter went back to fishing. And it's a beautiful scene because they're, they're on the, uh, the boat and they're fishing. And then all of a sudden, somebody from the shore, it's Jesus. And they don't, they don't recognize Jesus. Somehow they, they can't recognize. They don't, they don't know that it's Jesus. And Jesus just tells them, you know, throw the nets to the right side of the boat. And, you know, they're tired and they're been up all night. And I, why, why would they not recognize that it's Jesus? It's almost the same kind of terminology they've used before. And they do. And what's interesting is they record how many fish they caught, 153. Now, why would they record that? This must have been an incredible miracle. And then John realizes, oh, it's the Lord. He finally recognizes that it's the Lord. You know what Peter does? He, Peter, he grabs, he throws his coat back on, and he jumps in, and he just heads off. Why? He wanted to see Jesus. There was a sense of hopelessness in his life, and he wanted and needed to see Jesus. He needed to experience Jesus being alive and had the ability to transform his life, no matter what he was going through. His hopelessness was turned into hope when he realized, wow, as Jesus has conquered the grave. Billy Graham um, in the aftermath of uh, a hurricane in Katrina in 2005, I guess he came through and he, I think he toured it. And uh, somebody asked him, I think 80, 87 at this point, a man is well respected as a theologian, as an evangelist, a, a real respected religious leader. They asked him the question. They said, Mr. Graham, what can we learn from Katrina, this hurricane? And the 87-year-old heard the question, then paused, and he said this. He said, there's more to life than material things. There's more to life than material things. And that's what the resurrection of Jesus reminds us. There's more to life. Listen, the material things are important. I get it. I, I need food. I need a place to live. I like a car. I like my motorcycle. I, I like all of those things. All of those things are good things. They're not the ultimate. Because they're going to burn up one day. You realize that they're going to burn up. Poof, it's going to be gone. They're going to burn up one day. And what we have is the privilege of trusting God for who he is and what he's done. Number one, living hope reminds us that there's a sense of praiseworthiness to God. Living hope is powerful because God's mercy changes. Number three, it's permanent. Living hope is permanent. Look at verse four. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade away, kept in heaven for you. Where's the safest place on earth? Ever thought about that? Probably not. I mean, I, I didn't until I saw this. Um, we're familiar with the cliche, um, safest Fort Knox. Evidently, that's a real place, Fort Knox. It's the U.S. Bullion Depository in Fort Knox, and it houses $137 billion worth of gold, 5,000 tons of precious metals behind a 22-ton door. The combination to that door has been decimated, uh, given out to... Uh, ten different staff people. Each person has a partial code. No one knows the total code. The code has been has to be inserted one person at a time, one after the another. Behind the door is the treasury. It's the safest place on earth. 
And if you think that you're crafty enough to break that code of 10 different people, you're not getting out because there's way too many things that's going to get you as you try and leave that place. In that place, the U.S. Bullion Depository, at the height of World War II, uh, the, uh, it housed the Magna Carta. They put the Declaration of Independence in there, U.S. Constitution, Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, and a Gutenberg Bible. That's supposedly the safest place on earth. Your faith and trust in Jesus is an inheritance, and it is guaranteed to you based upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm going to inherit probably something from my dad one day when he passes away. What I'm going to inherit here is ultimately my relationship with Jesus as it continues on and on in new eternity. And all the things that I've done in this world as, as I've tried to live a good life, not to earn salvation, but in response to what Christ has done in my life, to store up treasures in heaven. That's what it talks about, to store up treasures in heaven. All of those things are going to be before me, and I am going to inherit all of that. Notice how it's described. It's imperishable. It's undefiled, and it's unfading. It's not going to wither. It's not going to get old. All of that is my inheritance, and I'm going to one day experience that in the future because of what Jesus is doing. Think about it. A mind, a new body. I went back and I looked in my funeral file and I went back in March and April and I looked at all of the different funerals that I had done in March and April. I was shocked at how many. At just March and April. April 3rd was my mom's. My mom passed away on April 3rd. Tim Blake, Don Blycamp, Dave Booker, there is a list and list of people who passed away. Some of them, maybe not in March or April, but family and friends have passed away. Based upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I'm going to see those people again. Listen, that's the promise of new life in Jesus, and that's the promise of the future. 1 Corinthians 15 says this, And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so we shall bear the likeness of of the man in heaven. Who is that man? It's Jesus. You're going to be conformed to the very image of Jesus and who he is. And we're not all going to look the same, but we're all going to possess the qualities and the characteristics of a glorified body one day in the future. And there's going to be a great reunion where all of us are singing together and all of us are celebrating together and all of us are walking together and all of us are living together in this wonderful sense of community. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead and he gave us new life. And that's the living hope that we can bank our lives on because of who he is. Picture what it's going to be like singing together and walking together, experiencing new life together. And if you've got a broken body, if you've got a broken mind, if you've got a broken heart, if you've got a broken soul... Joni Erickson taught us, 16 years of age, dove into the water, paralyzed for all of these years. One day she's going to be free. Why? Because victory in Jesus guarantees that we are going to be free from all of that stuff that binds us. We're going to experience an inheritance. Last thing, and we're done, is this. Because of who Jesus is, we have living hope. He should be praised. Our salvation is incredibly powerful because it radically changes us. It's permanent. The last thing is in verse 5, it's protected. Notice what he writes, who through faith are what? Shielded by God's power 
until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last times. In verse 4, our inheritance is kept in heaven. And in verse 5, it says this, we are shielded by God's power. Isn't that beautiful? Now listen, that doesn't mean that sometimes bad things won't come in and out of our life. Because they do. We know that. We absolutely know that. But at the end of the day, when the bad things come, we have victory in Jesus and we will one day stand before him and he's going to wipe away our tears and he's going to restore unto us that wonderful fellowship and all of the brokenness that we've experienced. The Bible talks about the weight of glory, Romans chapter 8. The weight of glory. The weight of glory is going to exceed the weight of the heaviness of my life. So all of the heaviness of my life is over here. And Romans chapter 8 says the weight of glory says he transforms all of that weightiness, all of that heaviness over there, and he transforms it into something glorious because of Jesus' resurrection. And that's a living hope that we have because of who he is. Psalm 121 says the Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Why? Because the garden is always on duty. You didn't fall asleep. He's always on duty. He's always watching. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows your pain. is. He knows exactly what you're thinking about right now, Psalm 139. He knows what's going to happen today. He's got the very hairs on your head numbered. He knows all that because he's loving, caring, personal God. You may be in some kind of prison. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's a lack of forgiveness. Maybe you're scared to death of of death. Maybe you're afraid of all that. In the resurrection, he throws open the door and he frees us. He frees us to live for Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. All of that's laid on the cross of Jesus and it's validated in the resurrection of Jesus. Listen, I don't know where you're going through and I don't know what life is like for you. If you've never trusted Jesus, I would ask you, just trust him. Just trust him for your life. Look at his life and all that he's done in the Gospels and the power that he revealed. And trust him that he can forgive you of your sin and he can restore you into a relationship with him. That's a living power of the resurrection. That's a living hope that we have. Father, thank you. Father, I know most of the people in this room and Father, I, I, I know how they've experienced this living hope and how you have radically changed their lives. And Father, we just thank you. Father, we thank you for the hope that we have. We thank you for the freedom that we have. We thank you for all that you have done for us. And Lord, I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God, that Lord, if someone is just struggling with life right now, I, I pray that you would just speak to them. Father, the Spirit of God would speak to them in a way that you would remind them that you love them, that you care for them, and that you want the absolute best for them and for us. And Father, this morning we say thank you for Jesus. Father, I pray that we would live every day with a living hope from Jesus. Father, I thank you for the privilege of gathering together and being able to sing with my family and my friends here. We ask your blessing upon today.